0: If you have your Bibles, take it to the book of Luke chapter 23. And if you don't have your Bible, you can just look at the screen behind me. Luke chapter 23 and beginning with verse number 32. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32. And if we can just give our undivided attention to the Word, and uh, I, I believe this is one of the most important parts of the service, is the Word of God. Worship is powerful. Worship is great. We need that. Uh, We have great worship. Um, Giving and connecting is good. But the Word of God is the reason the pulpit is in the center of the church. The pulpit is because we believe it's one of the most important things. So if we believe it's the most important, one of the most important things, then I encourage you to pay closely attention to the Word of God. Have your ears and hearts open and listen to what the Word says this morning. Luke chapter 23 and beginning with verse number 32. Luke chapter 23 And verse number 32. If you're there, say, I'm there. Verse number 32, there was also two other criminals that was led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to a place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And then Jesus cried and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and they cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Then the soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They put an inscription that was written over his head in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Then one of the criminals, this is Jesus, king of the Jews, and then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do not you even fear God, seeing that we're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, and we indeed justly, for receive our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, "Assuredly I say unto you, Today you will be with me, in paradise. Uh, I want to just preach on the thought, rethink Easter. Rethink Easter. And we're talking about the three crosses, the three crosses today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you for um, everything that you've done and everything that you've said. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in power, that your word would go forth in boldness today we thank you that there's no distractions, but that we clearly hear and understand your word. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Have you ever, have you ever had a time in your life where you had to rethink something over? Raise your hand. How many has ever had to rethink something over before? Have you ever had to give something a second thought before? Raise your hand. You had to think about it again, give it a second thought, go back and rehearse it. And then you come to a different conclusion. You see, sometimes it's good that we uh, rethink things. And the reason that it's good is because it gives us a fresh perspective. Thinking about things or rethinking about things gives us a fresh perspective when we think about it. Sometimes we see things that we normally didn't see before because we went back and rethought it, and we gave it a second chance, and uh, we gave it a second thought. You see, that's what I want to do about Easter this year, I want us to rethink Easter. And you will see it in these banners and also the banners outside. That is our theme for the next four to five weeks is that we're going to rethink Easter. In other words, I want you to look at Easter from a different perspective. Because sometimes we hear the same story year after year and year after year that we become so familiar with the story of Easter that we actually lose the importance of Easter because we've heard the story so many times. Well, you see, this year at Christ's point, I really want to wave a spiritual flag at you and tell you to stop. Come on, stop. Rethink this thing. I want you to look at Easter from a different perspective. I want you to set and look at Easter from a different perspective because the stories of Easter, if you miss the stories of Easter then you can miss some really life-changing principles. Because found right in the stories of Easter are some life-changing principles that can really bring, uh, uh, really bring refreshment to your life. And so we're going to rethink it. We're going to look at the stories of Easter. And I'm starting a sermon series this morning called Rethink Easter. And every Sunday till Easter, I'm going to be preaching on a different story that surrounds the events of Easter, and then we're going to look at it from a different angle. We're going to spin it and look at it, maybe at a thing that you didn't see before, or maybe I'm going to bring out some things maybe you've never heard before, but we're going to rethink the story of Easter, and we're going to learn about the events that surrounds Easter, and then on Easter Sunday morning, we will preach about the greatest story ever told, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. Somebody say amen. So this morning when you think about Easter, you think about many things, don't you? When you think about Easter, you think about obviously his resurrection. But when you think about Easter, you think about his the betrayal. You think about the cross. You think about them burying him in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You think about the courtroom of Pilate. you You think about the crowd crying, "Crucify, crucify him' And give us Barabbas. Those are all important stories of the Easter story. But if we had to have a beginning spot, then I believe that we need to focus on the cross this morning. Because without the cross, there is no Easter. Without the death, there is no resurrection. We want to celebrate the resurrection and hoop and holler and shout because Jesus got up out of the grave on the third day. But let me remind this church, it was because of the cross that it produces the resurrection. It was the cross that gives us the freedom and the access to God Almighty. Everything begins at the cross. And for the Christian, the cross means everything. For the Christian, the cross means everything. The cross has become one of the greatest symbols of the Christian church. The cross has become one of the greatest symbols of the Christian church. No matter where you go in the world, you can go to the deepest regions of Africa or you can go to Main Street America. And if you see a cross, you know it symbolizes the Christian church. Christians around the world will erect a cross because it symbolizes their faith. It symbolizes the faith in the Son of God. It's interesting that Christianity has adopted a Roman means of execution as the expression of our faith. It's because of this Roman means of execution that you and I are free today. Why is there a big deal about the cross? I mean, why? You see, it's okay to erect crosses in our churches. Just make sure you have a cross in you. Uh, Come on, you can have a necklace with the gold cross around you, and you could still be nasty to people. Just make sure you have a cross in you. Somebody say amen. Why is the cross important? If you really had to think about it, why is the cross a big deal? I mean, why is it? I mean, why is the cross the symbol of our faith? Because it was there that He laid down His life for the world. It was there that he paid the price for your sin and my sin. It was there that the head of the serpent was crushed. It was there that he gained freedom and access to God Almighty and tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom. It was there that the greatest battle of the ages was won. It was there that sin and Satan was defeated. It was there that he got the keys of death, hell, and the grave and conquered death for the world. It was there that he sung, there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. The cross is the symbol of our faith. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy was there, grace great, and grace was free. And pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I thank God for Calvary. I thank God for Golgotha. I thank God for His sacrifice. I just want you to think about the cross this morning. The greatest emblem of the Christian faith. Erected around the world. A Roman means of execution has now become the symbol of our faith. What about it, my friends? Those meek, timid, shy, frayed disciples who hid behind the doors of their homes after the death of their master, twiddling their thumbs, didn't know what to do, whether Jesus was going to live or whether Jesus is going to die, if Jesus was going to keep his word or if Jesus is not going to keep his word. But Jesus said, if they destroy this temple in three days, I'll rise. if they destroy it, I'll rise it up in three days. You see, they were meek and they were timid and they were scared behind the closed doors of their own fears. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He told told the disciple. He said, Thomas, I want you to put your hands here. I want you to put your hands in my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. You see, this story is not some kind of fictional story that somebody wrote 2,000 years ago, this story is a real story that actually happened in human history. And those early disciples did not comprehend that a Roman cross would be the symbol of their faith. Oh no. Because the Jews didn't like the Romans. And the Romans didn't like the Jews. Romans oppressed the Jewish people. And now, in every continent around the world, in every church around the world, there's a symbol of our faith. It is the cross. It comes from the Romans. It is the symbol of our faith. It is Jesus Christ, His love laid down for the human race. What would happen if those early disciples would come back and they would see a Roman cross erected in our buildings, they would be surprised, shocked, that the very government that oppressed them, we use their symbol as the expression of our freedom. Do you know why this is important? Because God is saying, whatever the enemy has put you in bondage to, I'll turn it around and use it for your freedom. I'll turn it around... Why is the cross? Just, just rethink the cross for a moment. Just, just rethink it. The cross was the place where his struggle became visible to the eyes of the people. It was at the cross that everybody saw his bloody bruised body on the tree. You see, only a couple people saw him in the garden But everybody saw him at the cross. It was at the cross that the centurion said, Surely, this is the Son of God. It was at the cross that they realized that he was the Lamb of God. But can I just stop here and tell you a few things? John called him the Lamb of God before a nail ever went through his hands. He was the Lamb of God long before He ever went to the cross. He was the Lamb of God way before they put the crown of thorns on His head. He was the Lamb of God way before they spit on Him and tore His beard and whipped Him with a cat of nine tails. John said, He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. But everybody saw it at the cross. The world didn't catch on until they saw it. Oh, what's the big deal, Pastor Josh? Because people never acknowledge what God is doing in your life until it becomes open and visible. What they just see is you on the cross. They see you high and lifted up. But what God is saying, I did it long before you ever saw it with your eyes. He was already the Lamb of God slain way before He died upon the cross. You see, the cross. The cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. You see, I don't know about you, but maybe I'm a little old school, especially in 2016. But I I firmly believe that there's still power in the cross. And because of the cross, we're going to win. And like Donald Trump said, we're going to win real big. And we're going to win here, and we're going to win there, and we're going to win there. We're going to win because of the cross. The cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and the best For a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. And I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Hallelujah. Is there anybody thankful for the cross today? Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I thank you for the cross Verse Peter 2 and 24, who himself bore our sins on his own body on a tree, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness, for by his stripes we were healed. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 15, Colossians 2 15, listen to the words of the apostle, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I'm going to say that again. He nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2 and verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over all of them, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying because of the cross, the devil was embarrassed. Because of the cross, the devil and his empire was embarrassed. Because of the cross, your sh- your sin was hung on the cross. Because of the cross, your shame and your guilt and your sickness and your oppression and your depression and your suicide, it was all nailed to the cross. It was to the cross. For it pleased the Father Colossians one nineteen that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether the things are on the earth, whether the things in the heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. You see, you have peace. I said you have peace. There is nothing that can bring peace more like the cross. Ain't no pill, ain't no backseat experience, ain't no lover can bring as much peace than the cross can bring peace. Boy, I'm preaching today. I wish somebody wave your hand. You can't be an enemy of the cross. Philippians 3.18 For many of you walk. For many of a walk of whom I've told you often. And I tell you even now, weeping, Paul said, that there are those who are enemies of the cross. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe that we have enemies of the cross. I believe we got lovers of the cross today. <laughs> Is there any lovers of the cross? A great theologian said it many years ago, and I quote, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. The cross was done by us. It was our sin that nailed Him to the cross. Yet He died for us. Rethink Easter. Don't fall in the mode of becoming so familiar with Easter that you're not thinking about it. Because if you do, you'll miss some of the greatest things found in the Easter story. And as I was reading the story, and my spirit began to read the story, there are things through my study I want to reveal to you about the three crosses of Jesus. You see, not only one cross is found in our text this morning, but the Bible says there was three crosses. Jesus in the middle and two thieves hanging on the right and on the left. Can I just stop and say this? I'm so glad Jesus is always in the middle of everything. (laughs) Hallelujah, aren't you glad? You see, you may feel like you're alone and forsaken. You may even feel like, how am I going to get out of this? But Jesus is the middle man and it stands to remind us He's always found in the middle of life's messes. The cross. Cross. Why did God use the cross? Oh, because the cross is the symbol of life. Isn't it? My head, my life should always be to God. My back should always be to my past. And my arms should always be open to people. The cross is even the symbol of how we should even live our life. There was three men on the cross. (laughs) Yes, three. Not one, but three because he wants to tell you a story. One Died for sin. One died in sin. And one died to sin. One died disbelieving. One died pleading. And the other died bleeding. One died rejecting. One died repenting. And one died drawing heaven and earth to himself. Sin was in him, and yet it wasn't on him. Sin was in him, but not on him. Sin was in him, and all sin was upon him. See, one thief misused his last breath, and got eternal damnation for his soul. One used his last breath, and got heaven. Remember me. When you enter paradise. And one used his last breath and forgave people. Oh, it's a story. It's the story of the ages. As a matter of fact, it is the greatest story ever known to man. And I plead with you, as a preacher of the gospel, let us never get tired of the Easter story. Let us never get tired of the cross. Let us never get tired of the blood. Let's never get tired of forgiveness, for it is the very salvation and the heart of the human race. Hallelujah. There is not old-time religion. There is only right religion. There is no such thing as old-time religion. Ladies and gentlemen, the old story still works today. I said the same story works today. No matter how messed up you are, it's a reminder there's still hope beyond the scope of human limitations. No matter what you're going through today, the Easter story tells us He's always found in the middle of our messes. Now, just bear with me as I, the preacher, rethink the story. I've heard the story all my life. I've heard the story when I was in Sunday school. I heard the story like you heard the story. I'd sit on the front seat with my grandparents. You know, those preachers would preach just like I am and sweating holding their Bible and tell of that old story of how a man came down from heaven and died on a cross for the world. That story changed my life, and so hasn't it changed yours? But sometimes, if we're not listening, we can miss some of the greatest things found in the story. I've never seen this before, but for the sake of time, just look at the scripture behind me. The Bible says in Luke, back to our text, Luke 23. And I want you to just notice verse 33. Luke 23, 33, Verse number 33. And when he had come to a place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals was on the right and the criminal was on the left hand. Now let's just stop there. Jesus is being crucified, and the Scripture clearly indicates to us that there is one on the right hand and one on the left hand. Let me say that again. One on the right hand and one on the left hand. I'm going to say it again. One on the right and one on the left. Let's stop there, and then I want you to look at Matthew 20. You don't have to turn there. It'll be behind me. Matthew 20 and verse number 20. Matthew chapter 20. And verse number 20, Matthew chapter 20, and verse number 20. And then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down, asking something from him, verse 21. And she said to and he said to her, What do you wish? And she said, Grant that my two sons may sit with you, one on the right and the other on the left in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the same cup that I'm about to drink? And are you going to be baptized with the same baptism I'm to be baptized with? And then they said to him, we are able. Let me just read verse number number 21, Matthew 20, verse 21. And he said to her, what do you wish? And he said, grant, she said, grant that my two sons may sit with you on your right and on your left in your kingdom on your right and on your left in your kingdom on your right and on your left in your kingdom Luke 23 verse 33 and two criminals was crucified one on the right and one on the left one on the right and one on the left Grant that my two sons can sit with you, one on my right and one on my left, and there was two criminals, one on the right and one on the left. What's the point? One story, Matthew 20, the mother wanted her sons to reign with Christ in His kingdom. The other story symbolizes death. The point is, if you want to reign with Him, you've got to die with Him. If you're going to sit with him in his kingdom, you're going to sit with him one on the right and one on the left. You've got to be willing to die with him on the cross, one on the right and one on the left. If you want to reign with him, you've got to die with him, church. And you see, this is a story that we don't like to hear. We want to be pampered. We want to have Christianity pamper us and tell us how good we are and everything's going to be all right and if things don't go all right, we just will leave and, and have our temper tampering. come on somebody. But ladies and gentlemen, when you sign up under the role of real commitment, that means you might have to go through the school of hard knocks. You might have to deal with unfortunate situations. You might have to deal with trials and tribulations. You might have to be talked about and come on, and you might have to go through some things. But if you're going to raise with him, you gotta die with him. You gotta die with him. Rethink Easter. Oh, Grant, my sons can sit with you one on your right and one on your left. Jesus is first calling. I want you to die with him first. Death is. an important factor in the Easter story. You see, that's why the early Christians for 40 days before Easter would participate in fasting and prayer. They would fast for 40 days to to symbolize death to something. And then on Easter Sunday morning, they would celebrate resurrection because they understood that reading the story is just not enough. You've got to be a part of the story you too must die and you too must experience a resurrection just like Jesus. Rethink the story. Now, Luke 23 symbolizes twenty. my second point. Luke 23, 39, 40. Let's just look at it just for a few moments. Luke 23, and verse 39. Look at the phrase here. Luke 23, 39. Let's look at it. And I want you to see then one of the criminals who was hanging there blasphemed, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. Verse number 40. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Do not even fear God, seeing that we have the same condemnation? Isn't it interesting that both thieves are men? They're both criminals both condemned for the same thing. They're both thieves. They're both criminals, and yet there are two different responses. One responds in a positive way. He's other words saying, do not see that this man is innocent. The other one's blaspheming, saying if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Save yourself. Two men, two criminals, charged with the same Crime, but yet two different responses. You know what that teaches us? That your response to Jesus has absolutely nothing to do with your situation. You can say all you want I can't attend church because I'm too busy, or I can't tithe, I can't come to, I can't. You can make all the excuses in the world, but really your situation. And what you're involved in has nothing to do with how you respond to Jesus because one of them was dying and he still responded to Jesus. Throw your excuses away. Throw it away. Throw all these excuses of why you can't live for Jesus and why you can't do more for Him. Throw it away because this story, this Easter story demonstrates it doesn't matter the situation you're in. You still can respond to Jesus, but preacher, I got to get my life right, I got to do this, and then I'll come. No, 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 no. The story teaches us you can be dying and in pain and still respond to Jesus. Hallelujah, I don't know about you, but all of us is one of those thieves, aren't we and You go throughout life and you get to choose which thief you want to be. Do you want to be the repentant thief? Or do you want to be the thief that's blaspheming God? And there are two thieves in this building this morning. There are those who are repenting and say, have mercy on me and remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then there are other thieves in the building who is blaspheming against God and saying, I don't believe in this story I don't believe it anymore. I'm giving up. Which thief are you? If you had to pick, I want to be the dying thief that says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I could hear the words of Jesus. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because all of us are thieves, aren't we? Because of your sin, you're a thief. Your sin hung Him on the cross. We're all thieves. Just what type of thief do you want to be? You want to be a repentant thief. A thief crying for mercy. And the story tells us that if you cry for mercy and you're repentant, He will save you and open heaven up for you. If you cry for mercy, He will save you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. You know, on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to invite people and they're going to come to the front and they're going to feel the conviction of the Lord and we're going to have a bunch of thieves repenting and crying for mercy. Hallelujah. You say, preacher, that's hard, that's hard. But ladies and gentlemen, we're all sinners. All of us have taken the glory of God. We're all a thief in one way or another. But you don't have to die as a thief. You can die as a saved thief. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you imagine that man as he's dying on the cross and he says, Lord, remember me. All this, all my life, I haven't remembered you. Oh, my life, I've forsaken you all my life. Who will you remember me? Just those words. Today, be with me. Paradise. He took that thief to paradise as a trophy. Showed all the great patriarchs of old that he was the son of God then the Bible says he led captivity captive. He led those patriarchs and matriarchs of old who died in the Old Testament. When they died, they buried their body, but their souls went to the under earth to a holding place called Abraham's bosom, called paradise. But when Jesus died, he went down to the underworld, Ephesians 5, and he preached to the captives. And he led captivity captive. He led the matriarchs and patriarchs of old, those who worshipped and served the true and living God. He led them out and took them to heaven and put his blood on the mercy seat of heaven. And now Paul said to be absent from the body is to be now to be present with the Lord. When you die, you don't go down. As a matter of fact, you are escorted in the presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Your response has nothing to do with your situation. If you want to reign with him, you gotta die with him. Lastly, and in closing, now, and of all, my last point, I had never seen this before. But have you ever read the word? Seriously, maybe it's just me. Okay? And, you know, I'm crazy anyway, you know, and. In a good way. But you ever read it and just, it, it's, it's like a hammer and it kind of hurts, you know? And in this story, in closing, you see something that I think is interesting. You see him hanging on the cross and you see the thieves hanging with him in verse number 39, Luke 23 39. One of the criminals blasphemed. Saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. Now, a, a different rendering of the same translation would say, or of a different translation, says if you're the Christ, come down off of the cross. That is paralleled in Matthew 27.40. Matthew 27.40 states the same thing. Matthew 27.40 and saying, you who destroyed the temple, built in three days, save yourself. This is in a different gospel. The thief is saying this. You are the, if you are the son of God, come down off of the cross. The ruler said the same thing. And I thought about it. All of us have to carry a cross, don't we? Don't we? Your cross is different from my cross. Maybe it's something you prayed about for a long time and you just don't seem like an answer's coming. Maybe that's a cross that you've got to carry. Maybe it could be something physical. Maybe it's a re- relationship. We all got difficulties and crosses to carry. And that's not a bad thing. Because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and you've got to follow me. And in this story... The rulers and the thief blasphemed and sneered as the rulers went by and they said, if you are the Son of God, come down off of that cross. The point is this, that it wasn't the will of God for him to come off of the cross. And just because you are in pain doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. Don't abandon your purpose because it's painful. I'm going to say it again. Don't abandon your purpose because it's painful. The cross is painful. And there's going to be people come to you and tell you, come down off of that cross. But listen to this preacher. Don't come down off of the cross. People don't like pain. sometimes, You can't abandon your purpose because it's painful. Don't ever come down off of the cross until it's over. I'm going to say that again. Don't ever come down off of the cross until it's over. Don't abort your purpose because it's painful. What? How can we rethink Easter? you want to reign with Him, you've got to die with Him. Your response to Jesus has nothing to do with your situation. You can't abandon your purpose just because it's painful. You see, rethink Easter. And if God has been good to you, then you should express that love to someone else. And I told you a few weeks ago in my state of the church address, that I've picked four Sundays this year, four, where we are being intentional about bringing the unsaved. Do you remember me saying that? Raise your hand. All right. Forty of you. I said, if you remember that, raise your hand. And they are called encounter services. Everybody say encounter. And what is the purpose of that? We want you to be intentional about bringing the unsaved. Listen, if you don't bring them, who's going to bring them? Mona, would you come here for a moment? My dear friend, Mona. Come up here, Sister Mona. She's been attending Christ Point for what, about a year? Or two years, right? And Sister Mona, in your time of attending Christ Point, how many people do you think in an estimate invited to church and stayed? Uh, about 10 that stayed. About 10 that stayed. And so your, your sister Carol and her husband, uh, I know that Sister Dee Dee and Virginia, all of them back there, all of them attended. Some of them couldn't be here this morning. And um, Walt is here. Raise your hand, Walt. He's here as a result of that. And, and Carol Thomas. Where is Carol Thomas? Amen. If, you, if you have come because of this dear woman, stand to your feet. If you've come because of this dear woman, stand to your feet. Now, of course, your sister wasn't be able to be here, and there's a, a couple others that wouldn't be able to be here, but they're here today. And so you, what do you, you on a continual basis are always inviting somebody, aren't you? Yes. I, I love it here, and I believe that everybody that's supposed to be here will come. And they come, and they like it, and then they stay. Amen. Somebody say Amen. Amen. Lon and David, would you stand? Six years ago, they knew Patty and David Yates. They invited them to church. David and Patty, would you stand? Okay. As a result of them inviting somebody else, they've become members of this church because David and Alana just simply invited them to church. All Mana has done is just invited people and they've come, they liked it, and they stayed. My point is, what would happen if you just invited somebody to church? What? What would happen if all of us would make an intentional effort? Now, there's other people. There's other people. That uh, um, is here, Mike and Amy. You're here because Sandra and Troy invited you. Is that correct? Stand up. So there are a couple. All your bo- your boys stand up. We gained a family because Sandra and Troy invited them last year. Eric and Renee, stand up. Stand up. They're they're here because Christine Orlando or Cheryl Cheryl, you invited them to church, and because she invited them, they are here. You see what happens when you begin to invite somebody? Regina, stand up. Regina is here this morning because Pastor David invited her at Annie Baxter. She started coming to church. Doug and Mel, stand up. Doug and Mel has been instrumental in inviting uh, Rory and Shauna, is that right, had some kind of connection. They invited them and them coming. You see, when you begin to invite people, you just don't know who will come to church and you don't know who will stay. So how many would raise your hand and say, I know I'll put some of you on the spot, but it's okay to let people know that there's power in inviting somebody to church. So what would happen? What would happen? Larry and Judy stand up. She brought, they brought Raina. And because they brought Raina to church, our youth pastor found his wife. I'm telling you, you don't know what happens when you invite somebody to church. Somebody say amen. So, when you begin to invite somebody to church, you have the potential to change somebody's. What about this person at the grocery store? The person at the bank? The person in the restaurant? What about the teller at the bank? All you have to do is just ask, him, would you come to church on Easter? It is demonstrated that 80% of guests will come to a religious service, such as Christmas and Easter, more than any other service of the year. And ladies and gentlemen, let's maximize our advantage. And let's invite somebody.